Okay, Mark chapter number one, and uh, we took last week off, so I want to go back up here and just kind of refresh ourselves here. Verse number nine, uh, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan, and straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast. And the angels ministered unto him. And uh, we've, uh, we're, we talked about the wild beast and some things here uh, very quickly last time uh, toward the end. So I just want to kind of touch on that. We we talked. We went back to Job, I believe, and we saw the issue of man's job is to have dominion over the um, the animal kingdom, and obviously we don't because of the uh, of the um, of sin. But there's also something else there in that Ver, uh, verse 12, and immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Uh, again, no details here by Mark. Because Mark uh, is uh, Matthew and Luke, Matthew four and Luke four, have uh, the uh, most of the de- uh, more of the details, be- because the of uh, Matthew presents the Lord as king, so he uh, looks at the dispensational setting, and then Luke presents him as man. So then the temptation details are a little different because it's now as man being tempted. And that goes back to 1 John 2, 16, where the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh come in. And that's how man is tempted. And that's the, really the order in Luke. In Mark, Mark depicts him as a servant, so there's no details. Uh, a servant does what he's told to do. Uh, he works by command, if you will. So there's, uh, the, so what you have in Mark is the result of the temptation, and that is the issue here where he's going to go and do. Now in verse 13, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days. Tempt, again, that 40 days, that 40 is a great number uh, in, in Israel's history. And what 40 does is he was in the wilderness how many days? 40 days, what? Tempted. So Mark 1.13 defines for you what 40 days are. And that's a number of temptation. It's a number of, of, of uh, probation. It's a number of testing. You know, they go wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Mo, uh, Noah and so far, not Noah, but Moses. Uh, Moses takes them out. They're out there for, you know, the eight day or twelve day, eight day trip or whatever it is in Deuteronomy there, and it takes them. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, an eleven day journey took them forty years, and so so Mark one thirteen in the numerology helps you understand what forty that number forty is, and again it's a number of testing, a number of probation, because there's a tempting here. He was tempted of Satan. Luke calls him the devil, uh, and, when, and here he's Satan, the accuser of the brethren. That's what Satan is, accuser. Devil, uh, in the Diablos, in that meaning of that word, you work you, in the etymology of it, it means to separate you from. So, he, so Satan here is going to do some things. And again, we don't get the details here. If you want the details, go to Matthew 4 and Luke 4. But then he says that he was with the wild beast. Uh, And it's that issue of the wild beast there, just real quick here, because there's something going on here. Go back with me to Leviticus 26. And again, we looked last time at the issue of the wild beast and the animal kingdom there in Job 38, 39, and so forth. But there's also something else going on here with the adversary, with, with Satan. Satan comes, he, the, and, and they're, they, they're, they're gathered up against the Lord. But it's also a picture of Luke here where 
um, where Mark, where uh, Israel is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Can't get on? <laughs> okay, L look at Leviticus 26. Uh, the first time that phrase, wild beast, is used, is used in Leviticus 26, 22. Okay? I will, send all, I will also send wild beast among you, which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. That's the first time we read that term, wild beast. And uh, when you come into Leviticus 26, uh, the chapter as a whole, uh, throughout the Old Testament there are passages that you need to keep in mind because they, they give you the flow of prophecy of Israel's program. Leviticus 26 is one of those passages. And it's where we get the whole history of Israel uh, from Moses to the Messiah gets laid out here. And uh, the first 13 verses, it's all about if you obey the commandments, here's the, the conditions, of, um, here's the, uh, if you obey the commandments and the covenant, then you're going to have peace. And you're going to have this. So there's a blessings from obeying the covenant. And then in, starting in verse 14, but if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments. Again, they have to do them all. And if ye shall despise my judgments, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all the, my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. And there are five courses of judgment, I call them, but there are five, uh, Schofield here has got chastisements. There are five of these guys, and, he's, and, and in that history there, if you don't obey, this is what's going to happen. Now, if you, so the first course starts there in verse 16 and 17. Verse 18, And if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times and the key word in this is that word more, for your sins. And so then he hits the second chastise, the second course. Then if you look there at verse 21, here's the third one. And again, verse 21, and if you walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more. So you've got this, and he does that with four and five. So you've got this cycles of judgment that never go away. They, they stack on top of each other. The first one there, he, you have um, where he, he's going to, the, the time of the judges come in, where the Gentiles are going to come in, and they're going to, verse 16, for your enemies shall eat it. So you have the judges, the judge period. Then, then you have 80 years of David and Solomon and Samuel, and, or not Samuel, Solomon. Then as soon as Solomon dies, then Rehoboam and Jeroboam ripped the nation up, which is exactly what verse 19 in the second course says is going to happen. I'll break the pride of your power. And they never again were a political entity in the world. They lost it all because they ripped it. The ten northern tribes immediately went off under Assyrian captivity, and it happened quickly. You go back and we read the minor prophets, and he'll say, Judah... Look at your sister and what happened to your sister. And in one chapter, actually within six or eight verses in one chapter, the whole of the northern ten tribes are gone. They've been, a, they've been taken over. So you've got these five, and now the fifth course, it leads them into captivity. So you've got these five courses that are going to come, that's going to bring them into the captivity of Nebuchadnezzar and under really Gentile rule. If you look there at verse 33, verse 33, And I will scatter you, scatter you among the heathen, and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. And I know what happens today, 1948, Israel's made a nation, and you know, you know who did that? Gentiles did that. And guess what? They're still not their own power center. They're still not considered their own people. They got all that going on over there. Again, they were in the news again. They're trying to oust the prime minister again. You know, it's just like they just never can win, you know. But the thing is, is when you, when you come into prophecy, 
here they are. So, verse 21, if, uh, and if you will, this is the third chastisement, the third judgment. Will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins, and I will also send wild beasts among you. And there's the wild beast. And he's going to send more punishment, more destruction on them. He's, he, again, he's going to send plagues in on them. He's, each cycle has an identifiable mark of its beginning. Each cycle has its own prophet to it. And Elijah, he, 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 come over with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. I don't want to rush through this, but I also don't want to drag our feet, but it's just us. 2 Kings 2. Elijah goes out of the land. He leaves. Okay? He crosses over Jordan, and he's gone. And then and that's in the first part here of 2 Kings 2. 2 Kings 2, verse 8. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were, and that, again, that's Jordan out of verse 7. And they were divided hither and thither. So they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do uh, for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me, and so forth. And then Elijah's taken, verse 11. Now watch verse 12. Elijah saw it and cried. He, verse 13, Elijah, Elisha takes the mantle. There's some prayer things. If you go down to verse 23, and he went up from thence unto Bethel, and as he was going, so Elijah left the land, Elisha's come back into the land, and Elisha now goes up. This is marking the start of the third cycle. Okay? So the first cycle... The prophets and all that are the judges, those guys. Uh, Gideon was a prophet, told the few, okay, there they are. Then you've got Elijah, and Elijah comes in, and he speaks. Uh, verse 23, ready? And he, uh, 2 Kings 2, 23, And he went up from thence unto Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him, and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. <laughs> hey, old man, get out of here, right? And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children of them. There's your wild beast. They came and got them. So there, Elisha... He knew what was happening. He laid 26 on them, Leviticus 26 on them, and off they go. So each course has a marking point. Each course has a prophet. By the way, Samuel is the prophet in the first course. Elijah is in the second course. Elisha is the third course. Now the fourth course are the writing prophets, Isaiah to Malachi. Because in the fifth course, God doesn't talk to them anymore because they're scattered. They're taken away. They've lost their political power, and now they're going to lose their, they're going to lose their land. Remember what he tells Daniel, tells Ezekiel, tells Jeremiah? The people are dirty. They've polluted the land. We've got to clean the land. Seventy years to clean the land. Daniel's ready. He does what Leviticus 26 says there on the National Confession, verse 40, back in Leviticus 26. Verse 40, if they shall confess their iniquity and, and so forth, then they'll go back in. And God says, nope, we need 70 weeks of years now and 490 years until then. So for 400 years, he's silent until we get to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, come over to Isaiah 13. John the Baptist is that crier in the wilderness. And what does he say? Behold, your Messiah, there he is. And he comes baptizing, he comes getting repent, change your mind about who the Messiah is and what's going on, because now there's a kingdom going to be offered to you. There's an out here. But he told Isaiah to Malachi, you guys write this stuff down because I'm done talking to them. 
because, by the way, they're not in the land anymore. They're scattered out. Okay, they're gone. So part of the judgment here of God and what he's doing to Israel is he's literally turning Israel over to Satan. Okay, and he's allowing the satanic uh, uh, policy to attack Israel and to then take her in the grips. And that's, that's the strong man, the stronger than he we've been looking at over, the, over studies. So when you think about the wild beast, there's Satan, the satanic group, and in that group are wild beasts. And that's, we're going to look, look at here at Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13. Because you think the two she-bears were bad, Watch these guys, verse number 6, Isaiah 13, 6. By the way, this is a second coming passage. This is after, this is where he comes back. Verse 6, how ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. So, second coming, verse 11. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogance of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. The, the second coming is on us. Verse 17. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, which shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. So the, the Medes are going to be stirred up. Verse 19. And Babylon the glory of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellence shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. What, what did he do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Laid it waste. What's he going to do to Babylon? Layer waste. Verse 19. Verse 20. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it shall be dwelt in the generation, in, in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arab, I'm sorry, the Arabian, Pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. So what's going to happen is, is in the second coming, he's going to wipe all that out out there. Now watch verse 21. But wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there. What in the world's a satyr? And the wild beast of the islands shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant places. When he says dragons there, he's talking about dinosaurs. That's what he's talking about. And her time is near to come, and her days shall not be prolonged. So literally what you have here is you have this wild beast come, and they, I mean, you think about, Isaiah is being transported out there to see all this. And what he's seeing is the degenerative, the degenerated supernatural creatures from the spirit world. And he, okay, so he sees satanic creatures that are going to be placed there so that the people of the earth can see their destruction. It's going to be, if you will, a supernatural zoo. And it sits in Babylon. And one of the gateways out of hell sits in Babylon in the river Euphrates. One of the gateways sits down there at the south end of the Dead Sea, the Medes and, uh, where Bozrah and Idumea are. Then there's another gateway over there where Pharaoh and Moses and them cross the Red Sea. So you've got these gateways down, and all of that's going to be exposed. So the wild beast here, come back to Mark 1 now, are more than just, you know, the, the, you know, Leo the lion. These are actually literally, he's there, he's tempted of Satan and was with the wild beast. They come and they, they, they notice he's with them. They're under his control. They, they're not attacking him. They're not trying to get him. They're not gnashing on him with teeth. It's literally, they are with him. He's come, and what he's doing here, and the, what the Lord's doing, and what Mark is demonstrating, is that he has complete control over creation. 
He's taken back. He has complete control over the satanic creatures, even. And he's taking that back. He's delivering creation from the satanic policy of evil. He's come to serve creation. He's the servant. And creation knows that. And they understand that. They, and, and by the way, and the angels ministered unto him. Not only were the wild beasts there and the angels come, but they're all ministering him, serving him. So you have this, this little deeper, you got these little things here that Mark uses to point to Christ as the servant. As he serves here with God's creation, in God's creation, and so forth. So we ran through this a couple weeks ago with Job 39 and so forth. And that's true, the create, they, they do know that, but also there's a little deeper here with this wild beast being that satanic nature, uh, those supernatural satanic creatures. That's why, you know, when you look at an owl, owls in your Bible, birds in your Bible are always devilish. They're not a good thing. Um, but the Seder, that's one of the only passages that, that Seder is talked about, and it's talked about in connotation of a bad thing. Not a good thing. So when you think about that issue, just think about that. Now, let's go back up to verse 9, because I want to do something the rest of the evening about the issue of John's baptism. And we talked about this. When we, we talk about the word baptiz, baptism, baptized, that's uh, transliterated over out of the Greek word baptizo. It's not translated, it's actually just moved into English. And it's used, the word is really used to, about, uh, about something being dipped and dye, okay? So really, the best definition of baptism isn't water. <laughs> Everybody says water. It's actually identification, especially in Scripture. Uh, come over with me to Matthew 3. I just, uh, I think I'm... I'm in my notes, I remember mentioning there's like 12 or 13 baptisms. Um, I have a list here of 14, but you can kind of combine a couple of them. So I just wanted to look at a few of them just here kind of to get us back in the mark since we took the week off. Um, and then uh, in July, we're going to miss three weeks so because we're going to be gone. But Matthew 3... When you talk about the issue of baptism, you can't knee-jerk back to instantly just say water. So in Matthew 3, verse 11, there are three. I'm going to give you a seven or eight, six or eight, nine, um, however many we have till the top of the hour, okay? Baptisms here. Baker, Charles Baker, in his book, Dispensational Theology, he lists out about 12 um, you can, you can again, he, we'll see the major ones. Everything else kind of gets dumped underneath. People will say the word baptiz, baptism is not in the Old Testament. That's not true. It's not, a, it's, it's not in the Old Testament because the word baptizo is a Greek word. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew. So in Hebrew, you'll see the word like wash, dipped, cleaned, Okay, it's, by the way, it's never, in Scripture, it's never meant to be as an immersion because you can immerse something and leave it there. Well, if you do that to a person, you'll kill them. But in the Old Testament, you go back there, there is a couple places where the Hebrew word does talk about immersing, like an unclean thing. They were to immerse it for three days. So, well, what did you do to the unclean thing in three days? You killed it. But the word that is used over there in the Hebrew is, a, is an equivalent to one baptism, talk, you know, the word baptism. But the context defined the word because of the issue of immersing. Anyway, so that's your Greek and Hebrew lesson for the year, okay? <laughs> but when you think about it, just don't listen to... Just read your Bible and don't pay attention to all the other mess. But look at Matthew 3, verse 11. I, and the I here is John, indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. 
But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So if you'll think about this, here's John the Baptist, and he says, I'm going to baptize you with water. There's one coming mightier than I who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he's going to baptize you with fire. So there are three baptisms in one verse. Okay? So here we are. Let's put Calvary here so we get that in here. Here's Acts 2 where he can send the Holy Spirit. Here's the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation, okay? The second coming, and then off into the kingdom we go. There's the fire, all right? So when you think about this, John's baptism, the issue of water baptism, he says, hey, I'm going to baptize, by the way, verse 12, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So we've got three baptisms here. John the Baptist, remember, and again, we studied this, so you just kind of have to rely back on your thinking. John's the porter, water's the door, and what are they forming? They're forming that little flock, aren't they? That nation as a whole out here is apostate. He says, get out, in, in, in Acts 2, get out of that untoward generation, come in through the door, get into the little flock, come in here, get in, come in here, get in, get in, get in. That's what John the Baptist, that's what the 12, that's what the Lord, all the repentance, change your mind, change your thinking about who the Messiah is, because there he is. So water begins to identify, is the mechanism to identify that little flock, water is. And that's going to be critical here in just a minute. Then he says, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's the empowerment. He's empowering them to be who he has called them to be. Then he says, we're going to get over here, and I'm going to, Burn up the chaff and the wheat. By the way, who would the wheat be? Little flock are going to go into the kingdom. The chaff's going to be burned up. That's what he's saying here. So John lay, lays out the prophetic order in those three baptisms in Matthew 3. Now, come back there to Mark 1. He laid them out. He says... I'm first with water, then the Lord with the Holy Spirit, and then with the Lord with fire. And he lays in the prophetic picture here. He lays out a map, if you will, of Israel's path. Here's where you're headed. Here's what's going to happen. And he does it. Now look at Mark 1 and look at verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach. Remember, he, he didn't just baptize. He baptized and preached. In Luke 8, he says that the Lord showing and preaching the, king, the, the kingdom. He didn't just preach. He preached and showed. Mark, or John the Baptist, just didn't baptize. He preached. What did he preach? He preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He was, he was preaching water baptism. That's what he's preaching. He just didn't do it, but, it, but the issue of water baptism was the core of his message. And what water baptism did was it showed their change of mind. That's what water baptism, when they came to him in Jordan, Matthew 3, and they're being baptized, that dem that's demonstrating a, a repentance, a change of their mind. If they wanted to, they, they, they understood that they needed to be cleaned up, cleansed. 
So what did they do? They went and got baptized. Water, 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 okay? Come over to Luke chapter 7, verses we've looked at before. Try not to reteach all about John, but you've got to think about this. John 7, verse 29. John 7, 29. And all the people that heard him, that's John, and the publicans justified God. They said, God is right. How? Being baptized with the baptism of John. Now, what is the baptism of John? Water baptism. It is not being baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's the Lord's baptism. And this is where you get all these other things where you, you, know, you mix, like people break out. I was looking for one here. Um, uh, I think I left it at home. Where they were like, well, this could be or that could be, and you know, because the Lord baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then the Lord baptizes with fire. So they, they tend to, I don't know, convolute the, the water, if you will. <laughs> John's baptism was an outward manifestation of their understanding that they needed to change their mind and forsake the apostate nation, the apostasy that was in Israel, and then believe the message of preparing themselves for the Messiah to come and for the kingdom to come. So when he goes and he's preaching water to them, there's an issue there of, it isn't the water bat water going to get them. It's the this is the out. It's not the outward expression of an inward faith. That's what you always hear. It's an outward under, expression of what they understand. What's the what did John what did Luke's or what did John say? Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Here comes the Messiah, and by the way, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So you've got that, verse 30, Luke 7, 30, just so you see it. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves. How? How did they reject the word of God? Being not baptized of him. So the issue of John's baptism is a critical issue. And it had to do with how do you join the little flock, the believing remnant? How do you get in? How do you do this? How do you miss the fire? Because what's he doing in the fire? He's burning up the chaff, isn't he? The chaff is going. Here's the wheat. <laughs> we want the wheat. We don't want the chaff. So how do I miss that? How, do I, how, do, how am I good to go? So when you come back over here, it's an interesting thing. Come on over to, um, well, there was something. Give me just one second here. I had a thought and fleeting, as it always is in my brain. Anyway, come over to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2. That thought comes back, I'll tell you. So you have John, I'm baptizing with water. That's going to indicate a change of mind, a repentance, that you guys are getting ready for the Messiah. Oh, by the way, John 1, there he is. Okay, we'll talk about that one here in just a minute. Then you're going to get ready to get and go through the kingdom. It's in numbers. Isn't that the beatenest thing? Look at Numbers 31. Look at Numbers 31. In Numbers 31, you have the judgment of God on the Midianites. Verse 23. Everything that may abide the fire... Ye shall make it go through the fire, and it shall be cleaned. Nevertheless, it shall be purified 
with the water of separation. And all that abideth not the water, ye shall make go, I'm sorry, shall abide not the fire, ye shall make go through the what? The water. Isn't that interesting? You want to you get out of the fire? Get in the water. You don't want to go through the fire. You better be in the right group. Because if not, you're going to go through and you're going to burn it up. Now, go, go back to Acts 2. Sorry, I, I, I was that nagging thing in the back of my brain, you know. So, judgment's coming. You don't want to go through the judgment, the fire. You better get in the water. How do I get identified in that little flock, the group? I go in through the door. I go in through John's baptism, which is a ceremonial event. It's water baptism. Now, look at Acts 2, verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand, uh, verse 32, this, G, this is Peter talking, day of Pentecost. This Jesus that God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith, Himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know it surely that God hath made the same, that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. What Peter does here is he says, Listen, guys, the coming of the Holy Spirit is a testimony from the Father that the Son is sitting at the right hand. He's been raised and he's been exalted, and he's been set at the right hand, and he, as Messiah, and he's sitting there waiting to make his enemies his footstool. So he was sent up, he's sitting, and he's waiting. He's going to come back and make his enemies his footstool one day. Okay? The Holy Spirit is sent. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the, men, of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They heard it. And you know what they said? What are we going to do? And you know what? Notice what Peter said. Then Peter said unto them, repent. Notice that's by itself. Repent. Change your mind about the Messiah, who he was. You just killed him. Okay? Then he says, and be Mark 1-4, baptized of John. John's baptism. Now, John's dead. You see, Peter answers them with, you need to rethink who you just killed, and now you need to go get in the little flock, and how do I do that? I do it by water baptism, which is John's baptism. Now, Peter has more information here than John did. He just gave them a whole bunch of stuff that nobody knew. Why? Because the Lord had opened their minds and, and, and so forth to the Scripture. They were to repent. They were to change their mind about the Lord. And then they were to go be water baptized. When they did that... Uh, let's just read the verse. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. And ye, so they repent and they get water baptized. Then what happens? You receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then you're what? Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord. By the way, that are far off, don't let people tell you that's the Gentiles and that's the body of Christ. None of the, the promise is yours, is unto you. That's Israel. They didn't more promise given to the Gentiles. So the afar off, what are they? They're scattered. You go read chapter, the first part of chapter 2, and all, they're, they're coming from all over the world for the day of Pentecost. So don't let somebody fool you into thinking that that's where the body of Christ started, because... If the body of Christ started here, you've got a problem with verse 40. And with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, what? Save yourself. If you think the body of Christ started in Acts chapter 2, then guess what you got a problem? Guess what the message is? 
go save yourself. And we know that that's not what Paul ever preached. But go save yourself from who? The untoward generation. Again, he's talking about national salvation. National apostasy. Get into this new nation, the little flock. It's a national issue. So John the Baptist, Peter, you want to get in to the right group, then you need to be water baptized. So they're going to repent. They're going to be baptized. And by the way, for the remission of sins, chapter 3, verse 19 says they get that out there in the second coming and in the kingdom. Okay? So they're going to get it. That's how they're going to get it. So they will... Now, come over with me to 1 Peter, chapter 3. So they will save themselves from that untoward generation when they repent, change their thinking about what's going on, they get water baptized, the ceremonial cleansing, that identification issue of the priesthood, and then they get in the program and they work their way down and they're baptized there from, they're, they're saved from that fire. So, and by the way, salvation, when he says save yourself, salvation in Scripture is not always being justified and saved from hell. There's, the context will always be the indicator. So in Acts 2, he's not really talking about the individuals. He's talking about getting in the right group because it is a nation that's going to inherit the kingdom. So you've got to be in the nation. Now, the nation is made up of individuals. I understand that. But how, how does an individual get saved with God? They just by faith operate on the word of God given to them. So by faith we're going to do this and then we're in. But that nation, Le Leviticus 26, that nation is going to be the issue. Now look at 1 Peter 3 and watch the illustration of this. Uh, it's a, this verse 18. 1 Peter 3.18, this is a, and this is also one of the baptisms that they pull away and kind of line up on their own. I don't because of, of what it's talking about. But 3.18, 1 Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Wow, what a great verse. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit by which also he went and preached unto the, spirit, unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by what? By water. Verse 21. Notice, the light figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Isn't that fantastic? You want to see a light figure. Look at Noah and the ark. Noah, yeah, get in the boat is right. Noah says, God says to Noah, build an ark. Here's how you're going to do it. And, and Noah goes out there. He's a preacher of righteousness. Enoch is out there warning them. Jude tells us about Enoch. And you know what? It's time. Okay, judgment's coming. Get in the boat. And Noah and the ark is a pre precursor, a pre a a uh, preview uh, trailer, if you will, of the real deal. Judgment's coming. You better be in the boat. How do I get in the boat? It's going to be by the water. There are eight souls saved by water. The light figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Save us from what? The judgment. By the way, keep reading in verse 21. The parenthesis is critical. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. See, water baptism never cleaned up anybody. Didn't save anybody. The putting away of the filth of the flesh, 
but the answer of a good conscience toward God. That tells you a good conscience. What are we doing? By faith, we're obeying the word of God to us. When Paul over there says, hey, I've got a good conscience and a clear conscience, what's he talking about? God's word to me, today in the age of grace, that's what I'm doing. I'm not doing. I'm not doing Israel's program. I'm not mixing. I'm not meddling. I'm over here doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Verse 22, who is, uh, I'm sorry, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. He's up there, and when it's time, what's he going to do? He's going to come back and pour out his wrath. And what you want to do is you want to be in the boat. And the boat is that little flock. That's the boat. How do I get in there? By, by water baptism, by being baptized with the Spirit, I'm in the boat. I'm saved. Now, just real quick and aside, verse 19 and 20 causes a lot of people trouble. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient. And they say, see, he did that on the cross, and he went down into hell and he went down there, and he goes over there in the torment side, and he preaches to those people, those spirits down there. And you know what? That is a bald-faced lie. You know how you know that? What did he say to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me where? In, not in the torment side, in paradise. The other side. You know, Lazarus and the rich man. you got the two sides. So then how do you answer it? That's the question. Well, what's the answer? Well, look at verse 20 which sometimes were disobedient. What's that next word? When? When were they disobedient? When did he go preach to the spirits in prison? When, once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. When did it take place? When did he do this? In the days of who? Noah. See that? Not all this rigor more about going, him dying, going into hell, and they pull in Ephesians 4 and all this stupid stuff. The verse told you when he did it. When did he do it? When God waited in the days of Noah. What did he do? He went down there. He sent Noah. He sent Enoch. He goes in there, and he preaches to them. So 1 Peter 3 gets listed as a separate baptism, by the way. However, it's a picture of of what's going on out of Matthew 3. What's he doing? I'm come to baptize you with water. The Messiah is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then he's going to baptize you with fire. Now come over to 2 Thessalonians 1. And just one verse. I think you guys understand what the fire is. Uh-huh, yeah. 2 Thessalonians 1. Uh, let's see, verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7, 8, and 9. What's he going to pour out? Wrath and judgment. Okay? Now, when you come across here, you've got that event with Stephen in Acts 7, and he looks up, and he sees the Lord standing. What was going to happen? He's sitting till he stands. It's time to do what? It's time to come back and pour out the wrath. So, come over with me to John 1. The first three baptisms, they're going to be baptized with, with water, with the Holy Spirit, and with the fire. John is doing this baptism. The Lord is doing this one and this one. Okay? Critical to remember who's doing it. Now look at John 1. The next baptism is the baptism of Christ by John. Okay? 
So that's number four if you're trying to keep track. And that's in John 1, verse, well, verse 29. And we talked about this one already, but chapter 1, uh, verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus come unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Uh, this is he whom I said after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And we talked about the three reasons that the Lord was baptized. That one, the first one was that act of submission, that, that issue of fulfilling all righteousness. The second one was an act of identification. That's this one right here, being made manifest to Israel as her Messiah. And then the third one is that act of being anointed into the priesthood and that issue of that ordin, ordin, being ordained into the priesthood is what we would say, okay? And he goes through that. So the, the, the issue here of the Lord, okay, being baptized by John. Again, water baptism, but it has ramifications. Come with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12. In verse 49. Luke 12, verse 49. Here's another baptism. Okay? Luke 12, 49. This one, everybody, when we went through Luke, we spent time with it. But everybody kind of jumps over because they don't quite understand what, he, what he's talking about. Luke 12, 49, and I come to send fire on the earth, and what will I, if it be kindled, already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Now think about this. He was just identified by John. Baptism means identification. Now he says, this is much later than baptism of John. He says, I have another baptism I've got to go partake in. And he's talking about the cross and, and what, what they call the baptism unto death. That's what they call it, okay? <laughs> You'll hear him. And he's talking about the cross, so that's what he's referencing here in Luke 12, 50, is I've got to go back. Because they're like, we want to go with you. And he's like, no, there's a baptism that I've got to go do that you can't do. Uh, look, look back over with me at Mark 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark 10. And look at verse 38. But Jesus said unto them, ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized withal shall ye be baptized. But sit on my right hand and on my left and so forth. He's talking about going to Calvary. He's talking about going and dying. So there's a baptism here at Christ, and he's, he's being identified with death, man's death, human, humanity, okay? Again, baptism is the issue of identification. Come over to Romans 6. He's being identified in that manner. Look at Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 3. I'll get there. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, there's two baptisms there. First of all, he says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ so I, I don't know, is this number five or whatever it is? <laughs> I think so. Four or five. It's not four, it's five. Okay. 
Well, that baptism, us being baptized into Christ, how does that take place? 1 Corinthians 12. Hold on to Romans 6. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. So Christ is baptized into death. Then you and I, the body of Christ, we sit in here. He's standing he comes back and meets Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, right? And then he shows mercy and grace, all right? Then he says, you're going to be baptized into death as well, but not your death, my death. But look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been, made, been all made to drink into one spirit. Ephesians 4, there's one baptism. Now go back to Romans 6. He was baptized, so when he says, know ye not, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, how did that happen? Baptized by one spirit into the body, were identified with as members of the body of Christ. Then it says, we were baptized into his death. When we become a part of the body of Christ, okay, he, then, he, then, then we have this baptism with him. Jesus Christ is baptized with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the one that baptizes us into Jesus Christ. You follow that? Got to pay attention. Remember who was doing this? The Lord was. For you and I, it's the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. You follow? Does it, okay. Look over with me to Ephesians. Hold on to Romans. Look at Ephesians 1. Verse 13, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. With, Ephesians 4, verse 4, and there is one body and one spirit. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Romans 6, verse 3, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Who does that is the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. He's baptized into our death, taste death for humanity, but then the Holy Spirit takes us and puts us into that death. Okay? By the way, they're different, clearly. We can see that. Now look at verse 4. Folks, when we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, God does some things to us, takes us out of Adam into his son, blesses us with all the spiritual blessings and does all that. But he takes us and puts us into Christ, out of Adam into his son, who has already been baptized into our humanity and our death. Okay? That's why it's so critical to know who you are in Christ, because death, his death became my death. Verse 4 Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Don't, there's no water in that. It's all identification. Okay? Now come over to 1 Corinthians 10. Here's another baptism. So you've got John's baptism with water. You've got baptism with the Spirit, baptism with the fire. The Lord is identified with baptism with the death of the cross, identified there. Then you come over here to you and I, and we're baptized by the Spirit, into his, in, identified into Him, who we, who we are in Him. And again, you can run the verses, all in Galatians and everything. All right, But look at 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse 1. Here's, a, here's what they call a dry baptism. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.1 Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, 
and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and so on. When they crossed the Red Sea, did they get wet? No. Pharaoh got wet, but they walked over on dry ground. So this is what they call a dry baptism, all right? So you've got John's baptism, you've got Christ baptizing. John baptizes with water. Jesus Christ baptizes with the Spirit and with fire. Jesus Christ himself is baptized with water. By the way, so are the 12 apostles. That's another baptism that they point out. Then you have the baptism of Christ into death. That's the cross. Then you have our baptism into Jesus Christ. And then you have the baptism of Israel being identified with Moses under Moses there. So then you have... Uh, kind of some breakouts. You've got Noah's type of baptism. That's that thing in 1 Peter 3. I think it's just a picture of what's happening with the little flock through all this. Okay. Then you have Israel's ceremonial cleansings. That's all in the Old Testament. Then you have the Levitical priesthood baptism issue. Then you have the tradition. Come over to Hebrews 6. This one nobody really pays attention to. But look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Look at Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms. See that plurality? That has to do with the traditional Jewish baptisms. Come back to John 1, John chapter 1. They, they and it's, you can go back and look at different passages where they clean, they're cleansing things and they're washing it. John 1, verse 24. Now watch this. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. Okay, so the Pharisees are going to ask John a question here. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? They were expecting the Messiah and Elijah to be doing what? Baptizing. It was a part of their tradition, the Jewish tradition. Okay? Then you've got uh, the Pentecostal issues. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, you have the issue of the baptism for the dead. So you, you know, so you got some of those that kind of branch out and so forth, okay? I just, we'll go back to Mark 1. We'll pick up in verse 14 next time. I just wanted to kind of catch us back up, kind of clean up some things from a couple weeks ago. Um, don't let someone say that water baptism is essential for today because it isn't. It's a spirit baptism. It's a dry baptism. The guy down in Pensacola, Florida, uh, Peter Ruckman, he used to call us dry cleaners. <laughs> okay? Because it's a dry thing here. Back here, though, you just when you read that word baptism, don't need jerk to water. There's three in one verse. There's one about the cross. There's all these. And you got to look at what you're studying. you got to get in there and study out the context. The majority of Matthew, Mark, Luke, by the way, somebody will say, baptism is not used in the Old Testament. That's wrong. The majority of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Old Testament. The last couple chapters is in the New Testament. Why? Because Hebrews 9 says the, the New Testament goes, in fact, after the death of the testator. <laughs> so you can always play that, and that's Hebrews 9.17 game with them, okay? But in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is mo majority of the time is that word wash or cleansing, okay? And it's a ceremonial cleansing to purify, to be separated away from the filthiness of the idolatry. Actually, in Ezekiel uh, over there, uh, 36, he says, I will sprinkle you with clean water. Guess what that is? That's baptism, okay? And so forth. So, all of this is going to be important now, honestly, in the backdrop as we start now in verse 14 of Mark 1 
because now he's going to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this issue right here of getting in this little flock to get out to stay and to inherit, get over here where they need to be is critical. Now, again, we're not in it, but these guys all are. I should put the I should put the chart up, but it messes up the camera. Okay, so it's important. All right. Okay, dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the folks that are here, for their interest in studying and for the look into it that the word would be instructive to us, and we can just rejoice in how, and what you you've done as the servant, here in Mark. In your name, we pray. Amen.